Okay. Um, there is a little bit of news I should announce that I'll talk about for a little bit. For over 20 years here at Tree of Life, we have been using David Stern's Complete Jewish Bible as our Bible. This week, we are going to be retiring in honorable fashion the Complete Jewish Bible and replacing it with the Tree of Life Version Bible as the new Shul Bible. This may be distressing to some. I get it. Complete Jewish Bible has been here over 20 years. Allow me to provide you this morning, perhaps, with a message of change. Um, we'll grab an example from the book of Hebrews about um, why change sometimes is good, just to help drive point home and give a little introduction to the tree of life. If you are skeptical, then wonderful. I love healthy, constructive skepticism. Overall, when you think about the Bible, what is the purpose of our existence? The purpose of our existence um, is recorded in the beginning chapters of Genesis, right? Adonai created us, placed us in the garden, and he dwelled with us. It's really that easy, in, in a nutshell. Now, we humans, we ruin that, got us, got us kicked out of the garden. And so the rest of the Bible reveals to us how our loving and merciful creator is going to get us back to that point. That's the whole Bible. This week's reading contains a significant event. Of course, Beth read from the scroll. Um, we have Moshe finishing up the tabernacle. The book of Exodus is coming to a close, and as he does so, and the last pieces are put in place, what happens is smoke fills the tabernacle. That is the Lord saying, that's him signing off. That's all the lights turning on and everything working. The tabernacle is working perfectly as it was supposed to, and it was a very joyous time for the nation as a whole. This is because his presence for the first time was local. I mean, the Lord has, was with people all throughout earlier times than this. He was with Noah and Abraham, the patriarchs, right? But he never, it, his presence wasn't in a local spot where you could just wake up with your family and head on down there and give some offerings and experience his presence. It wasn't like something that just anyone could do. He appeared to people selectively. So this was very significant in the history of humanity, that, as Beth said, they made this tabernacle with their gifts and um, their efforts, and Adonai's dwelling there. It was a very wonderful, um, probably very powerful experience, wonderful time in Israelite history. But that, too, would be replaced by something new, right? A little bit newer, a little bit better. In the book of 1 Kings, chapter 7 and 8, as our brother John Reynolds read this morning, King Solomon dedicates the temple. Very similar um, imagery there. He's building the temple, except now it's a little bigger, it's a little better, and smoke fills that temple as well. Again, the people are very happy. It's a very blessed time, a very joyous event for them. New place of presence for God. Um, but that would be destroyed, and there would be another temple built. This time, new and improved once more. Ezra chapter 6 describes the dedication of that temple. 
Again, this, this, this thing keeps repeating itself. It's a joyous time for everyone. Everyone's having a great time. Um, Yeshua called it his father's house, which are endearing terms of love for the temple of God. So they keep building this temple. You know, things happen, life happens, humans happens, and they keep getting new, new temples. And, of course, the prophets promise another temple yet to be built bigger and better, newer, if you will. Yet, regarding that third temple, sometimes there's difficulty um, in some thought because a few verses in the New Testament seem to render this whole tabernacle process and the whole temple thought um, as a system that is somewhat old and obsolete. And so that's what we're going to get into today. Usually I like getting into the Torah or getting into the prophets. Well, I just want to spend a few minutes sort of getting into the book of Hebrews where it talks about the temple and other things as well. One of the suggested New Covenant readings for this week's Torah portion is Hebrews chapter 9. We are going to start about one chapter back in chapter 8. So for, let's pick up our complete Jewish Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 8. And I will show you what was revealed to me this week, with a little help, of course. Hebrews chapter 8, here is the whole point of what we have been saying. We have uh, just such a Kohen Gadol, a high priest, right? And he does sit at the right hand of HaGadulah in heaven, and he serves in the holy place that is the true tent of meeting, the one erected not by human hands but by Adonai. For every Kohen Gadol is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so this Kohen Gadol has to do, uh, too, has something he can offer. Now, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a Kohen at all, since there are already Kohenim offering the gifts required by the Torah. But what they're saying, but what they are serving is only a copy and a shadow of the heavenly original for when Moshe was about to erect the tent, um, which is last week's and this week's Torah portion. God warned him, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern you were shown on the mountain. So, of course, there, there's a there's a tabernacle that was built, and there's a heavenly one, a couple different things going on there. <clears throat> so here's what I would like to focus in on, kind of 6 through 9, verse 6 through kind of the end of this. <clears throat> but now the work Yeshua has been given to do is far superior to theirs. So he's comparing um, the priesthood of Melchizedek to the priesthood of the Levites, essentially, the Aaronic priesthood. Just as the covenant he mediates is better, for, um, for this covenant has been given as Torah on the basis of better promises. The word covenant there, that's, this is the New Testament, obviously. The word covenant in Greek is dia theke. Dia, D-I-A, Theke, T-H-E-K-E, diatheke. Everybody say diatheke. See? Know as much Greek as I do now because I don't know a whole lot. I should know more, but that's diatheke, covenant. For this covenant has been given as Torah on the basis of better promises. Indeed, if the first covenant had not been given for fault finding, there wouldn't be no need for a second one. Now, interestingly here in verse 7, 
Um, Diatheke is not in the Greek. It says, indeed, of the first covenant, but in verse 7 there, that word covenant's just kind of placed in there by translators. For example, if you have a New American Standard Bible, that word will be italicized because it doesn't appear in the original manuscripts. Easy enough to find. If you've got a smartphone, you can just pull up Bible Hub and uh, scroll right through it. It shows you all the Greeks. Very easy to use, and it's free. So if you remove that word there, verse 7 would read, Indeed, if the first had not been given on ground for fault-finding, there would have been no need for a second one. Now, I understand why the translators put covenant in there, because when you kind of read it in context, they're talking about all these different covenants. If they're not talking about the first and second covenant, Mike, well, then what the heck are they talking about, right? I get that. But if the author wanted covenant to be put in there, it's pretty easy to write diatheke in that text as he's writing verse 7, but he doesn't. Perhaps the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to bring forth a different but related point. Hold that thought. Let's continue reading. And he gets into the um, little bit of Jeremiah 31 here. Verse 8, for God does find fault with the people when he says, and he's quoting from Jeremiah, See the days are coming, says Adonai, when I will establish over the house of Israel, over the house of Judah, a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by their hand and led them forth from the land of Egypt, because they, for their part, did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I, for my part, stopped concerning myself with them, says Adonai, for this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Adonai. I will put my Torah in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. None of them will teach his fellow citizen or his brother, saying, No, Adonai, for all will know me, from the least of them to the greatest, because I will be merciful towards their wickedness and remember their sins no more. In the mind of the Israelite in the second temple times, this is the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, this promise. It's not necessarily the New Testament because some of the books hadn't even been written yet, much less compiled and put together. This promise is what they would think is the new covenant. So he continues in verse 13. By using the term new here, he has made the first covenant old, and something being made old, something in the process of aging, is on its way to vanishing altogether. Now once again, diatheke is not in the Greek text here. If you read that verse without diatheke, it would simply read almost the same except without the word covenant. And so again, you'd ask yourself, he keeps talking about this first and this second. First and second what? If it's not covenant, well then what is he talking about, a first and second? Well, we get the clue when you continue reading in chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 1, now the first, again, the word covenant is not in the Greek there. It's simply in the Greek says, now the first, had both regulations for worship and a holy place here on earth. So we get an indication there. The first is the holy place. If you think about this now, take a second. The tabernacle has two rooms, right? You walk in, it's the holy place, and then there's the holy of holies. So here in chapter 9, he's saying the first is the holy place. A tent was set up, the outer one, which is called the holy place, and it was the menorah and the table and the bread of presence. We all recognize those are items in the holy place. Behind the second parochet was a tent called the holiest place. So now we got the first and the second. The first is the holy place. 
The second is the holiest of holies. This makes sense because you would first walk into the holy place, and then second, you'd walk into the holy of holies. So in the chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, is kind of connecting first and second to holy place and holy of holies. This makes sense. I can get with that. He talks about the high priest for a little bit. And then in verse 8, he gives it, uh, he expands it again. Verse 8, chapter 9, verse 8. By this arrangement, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, showed that so long as the first tent had been standing, the way into the holiest place was closed. This symbolizes the present age. Stop there a second. So the first, so the first, which is the holy place, represents the present age, which means the second which is the Holy of Holies, represents the world to come. And as you read on further, he's talking about Yeshua going into the Holy of Holies, and he's in the heavenly place. That's not this earth. That's uh, another time that's coming. And so when he's talking about the first here, he's talking about the first, he links it with the holy place, and he links it with this fallen world. And the second is the Holy of Holies. You go there next, and that's the world to come. So it's about this world and the world to come when he's talking about first and second. So if we back up a few verses and go back to chapter 8, verse 13, you can make a little adjustment here. You could say, you could read that verse and say, by using the term new, he has, the, he has made this fallen world old. And something being made old, something in the process of aging, is on its way to vanishing altogether when the messianic era begins. See, he's not talking about new and old in the sense of covenants. He's talking about new and old in the sense of this fallen world is old, and this fallen world is what is uh, in the process of aging. What's in the process of vanishing? That's not a covenant. It's, it's um, pain and sickness and uh, loneliness. These are things that are going to be on their way out and growing old. Letters so rich and full of meaning. There's so many more places to go. And I understand why translators, you see, when you start adding words into verses where they aren't really there, sometimes as a translator, you run the risk of pointing the reader into a different direction than the original writer intended them to. And so I understand why the word covenant is placed in a few uh, spots here where it wasn't originally written in. If you have a couple other versions, at least we'll have those words italicized to sort of indicate that they weren't in the original text. The Tree of Life version actually completely leaves those words out, thus rendering it a little more true to the original Greek manuscripts. Again, uh, Rabbi Stern of Blessed Memory did a wonderful job creating this book decades ago. But... He was just one man. The complete, the uh, Tree of Life version has the advantage of having teams of scholars translating it. So, we read here about uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9. This isn't about um, the Torah being replaced by the New Testament. It's about the world being replaced by Yeshua's kingdom. The temple that the writer is speaking about would not last. And so there's promises of this next world. Even the third temple that we uh, talk about and muse about from time to time, even that is not going to last. 
because eventually we get brought all the way back to the beginning. I'm going to close this morning with a reading from Revelation 21, page 15, 53. Revelation 21, um, verse 1. <clears throat> More new stuff here, by the way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away, and the sea was no longer there. Isn't that interesting? Also, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, and God prepared like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, God Shekinah's presence, his dwelling presence, is with mankind, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and he himself, God is with them, will be their God. Just like in the Garden of Eden, it, it's right finally uh, back to that. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death, and there will be no longer any mourning, crying, or pain, because the old order has passed away. Um, amen and amen to that. There's redemption and renewal coming. May we all be seeking that kingdom um, and while we're waiting, may the Spirit encourage us in our times of need and distress. And may the love we have for Yeshua just fill our hearts and fill our minds, giving us that peace that is beyond understanding. Shabbat Shalom.